Hey, everybody. You know, the beautiful thing about being really, really sick is when you're just normal, it's amazing. I just feel like I'm, yeah, doing amazingly well. Just, I'm not even back to normal yet. I'm, yeah, but thanks for pointing that out. And I'm always glad there's at least one of you here. And now there's two of you. Dan is also here as well. I miss you guys. But Tricia has a cold now. It's so sad. But I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I, I prayed for her a lot this morning, last morning. But you know, actually, to be honest with you, Jesus really did some good things in me while I was sick. Suffering is a good thing. You know, it, it wasn't creation intention. There, there would be suffering, but Jesus uses it. God redeems it. And so, to be honest with you, there were some pretty deep things that happened for me in me uh, that were really good, and I'm grateful. And uh, I, I wasn't sure what the will of God for me was. I was asking if it was life or death at one point because <laughs> it got pretty low. But the Holy Spirit assured me, no, it's life. You're going to be okay. And <laughs> so I just hung in there. So, hey, I hope, yes, we're going to wrap up the story of God and us and others today. And I, I know that we've been at this for a while. I would have wrapped it up last week, but uh, because I was sick, I didn't. So we extended it by a week. So we're there one more time today. And the goal in this, guys, for you and for me is just to remind us as we start this year that the life that we live, we have our own stories, and that's wonderful, but there's a story that we all share, and that story is the story of God. And it's also the story that every human is in. No matter what people believe or think, whatever they think uh, the origin of humanity is, or is there or is there not deity, uh, whatever they think, um, we all live in the same story. We don't actually choose or pick or guess what our stories are, but this is the story as we understand it. We understand it from the scriptures, verified by the Holy Spirit. And if you just look at life, to me, having been a Christian my entire life now for 58 years, the story fits reality. It fits archaeology. It fits psychology. It fits all the sciences. And, and it's just, it's such a verifiable story that I'm, I'm done wondering about it. I just know that it's true. And so I live in it, and as I live in the story, it works. It's consistent, and it's real. And so I, I just know this is the truth. This is the story. And so let's look at it again, kind of with some fresh words today, uh, but still the same story. So here we go. There it is, this simple four-act human story of God, creation, corruption, redemption, and recreation. And I want to remind you, in some fresh words about it. So the next slide, creation. We often hear about original sin, which is a reality, but I would say to you that the larger truth is that there was original goodness in creation. God created things originally good. And we each, as we are born into this world, live the story again. So childhood generally is amazing. There's a lot of goodness in childhood. Children generally, if they're parented well and loved well, they love life, and they are good, and there's goodness there within a child. And I think of it in these ways. First of all, there's imagination. We imagine what could happen in a day, or we imagine what is in front of us, what it's going to be like to start school as a child, what it's going to be like to move into a new place, uh, what, what just a new day is going to be like. And humans are full of imagination, and we tend to naturally imagine the good. And then we go after that good. And so whatever we, we feel like good is for the day, we move in that direction of what is good 
And then when goodness happens, when we get to live out what we hope for, we experience fulfillment. And all of that is the original intention of God for human beings, that we would live lives that we like to live, lives that we love to live, and that we get to live them in creative ways. We all imagine different kinds of things that to us are pleasant or fun or worthwhile or that we want to do with our time and our energy and our talents and our friends. Um, that's We get to kind of live the details of the life that we want to, ideally. And so that is the goodness of life. But then we all run into this reality pretty quickly that there is something called corruption. Things get in the way. Uh, things are broken. Um, I imagine good and I want good, but I find not even just around me but inside me there are forces that resist. And so I'm selfish and I want to hurt others in some ways at times. And so there's a problem and we can't go forward in this goodness all the time. And I think we especially hit that in our middle school years where there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot, things aren't working out. I don't have the friends I'd hoped to have. I don't have the parents I thought I had. I don't know. Sadness and brokenness, right? And we realize, no, things are broken. There is corruption. And I want to add just one more thought that I know you'll agree with here today, and that is that the reality is humans and even um, spiritual beings don't have the capacity to govern well. No one does except God. And this life, because it's more than one or two or three of us, but it's many, many spiritual beings and many human beings, there needs to be a sense of governance, a sense of, of what is right and what is good and, and how we live and love together as humanity. And so there's a need for governance and governing. And only God can do that well. And so sad to see well-intentioned people who start out young, even, for instance, in politics or even in the church, start out well with the best of, of real altruistic intentions. And then we get into the... Uh, intoxication of power and the advantages that come with power and influence and we just can't handle it very well and so I, I look around today and I just ask you know where is goodness in leadership and I don't see it I don't see it in our country I don't see it in our state uh, some of the good leaders that I see maybe I see among teachers uh, people who are, are caring and serving individuals but it seems as though there's something about governing that is impossible to handle well. And this is where God comes in. Really, only God has the character to govern well. So, things aren't going well. What's the hope? And the hope, of course, is redemption. And this is the world that we live in. We talked about this last week. Um, did you guys enjoy meeting Matt? Is that a good thing? Yeah, good guy. We're excited to have him as a part of the team trying to recruit some people. So, we, we live now in this place where corruption still exists, but the hope of redemption has come in Jesus. And so there is the hope of moving back to that original goodness uh, that we learn about. And we get to do that in part as Christians. And we are waiting for Jesus to kind of call into his kingdom everybody that wants to say yes to him so that he can take us back to perfected and complete goodness in the next life. We call that eternal life. So redemption re um, redirects the trajectory of humanity back towards life and hope and all that we can imagine. With the government of God restored, we can again experience a taste for the now and a promise for the future, a promise for fulfillment in the future. And so new creation is something that we wait for. 
We get to experience it in part. So you have a newly created spirit, a new spirit before Jesus was not alive. It was dying. But in Jesus Christ, you're united with the Holy Spirit. And your spirit has been revived. And to the degree that you believe and have faith and discipline, you can actually live into eternal life and into a heart that is good and soft and full of love. And you can exude the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But all of this is a taste. And the time is coming, though, when Jesus will judge and he will set an eternal, set us out for eternity as people who are completely and perfectly remade in the way that we were meant to be made. And I want to talk to you right now about something that um, I am, am learning and struggling with, and I'd love to struggle with that with you. And that's this. You can see this, what I believe is a truth, in a couple of verses in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We call that a paradox. Uh, you want to go in one direction thinking it'll get you something, but actually the truth is you want to go in what seems like the opposite direction to get what you want. So again, let me say this, this verse in some other words. Whoever would make it a goal to attain or grasp or take hold of or make a life for themselves, that person won't receive it. But the person who actually gives up life, gives up a striving for life, will be the one that receives life. Does that make sense? Those words ring true for you? So it, humanly, it seems like if I want a full life, I need to work at it. I need to go after it. I need to choose the things that would make my life what I want it to be and go for them, and then they will be mine. And Jesus says, you'll lose it. This is said again in different words in Acts 20, 35. It says, all things, this is Paul speaking to one of the churches, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if I understand it right, I believe God is telling us that fulfillment, we are wired for fulfillment, and fulfillment comes when we actually aren't seeking it for ourselves. So we can try to go after what we might consider a good life, fulfillment, and if we do that, the way we're wired, it's actually unfulfilling. The way we are wired and the way humanity works is that when we are looking for the good for others. When we're after other people's fulfillment, we actually find fulfillment ourselves. I remember um, when I was a kid, I was a teenager, and we had testimony nights on Sunday nights. And uh, this kind of idea came to me at that time. I was, I don't know, 14 or something like that. And, and the way I said it at that point uh, was, was like this. Um, if we all leave ourselves to ourselves to have a good life, we each have one fighting for one. So I have my own project that's me, and you have your project that's you, and we're all, you know, kindly, but, but definitely deliberately focused on bringing life to myself or finding life for myself or making a life for myself. But if instead we are focused on finding and giving life to others, we actually will have more than one person fighting or working for us. So we would have a handful. And aren't the odds better when it's a group of others that are working for us? I would even say that in the dynamics of the way psychology works, and 
human mind and heart work, there is a much richer experience when things are given to us than when we get them for ourselves. I would even say in something as simple as a meal, would you agree with me that you can, on your own, you know, if you're at home for dinner, you could go to the fridge yourself and create something that to you sounds good, cooking ingredients out, and each one of you and your families could individually do this. Hey, let's just make our own meal. That way we'll get exactly what we want. There's a bunch of different stuff in the fridge. You go make the meal you want because that's going to be the most fulfilling because you're going to have the ingredients and taste the foods that you want. So we do that, sit down, and we each eat, eat what we may. Well, what does that already sound like to you or to me? It sounds super individualistic, and it sounds super disconnected. Isn't there something beautiful and dynamic when uh, one of us is able to say, I'm going to go gather all the things that my family likes to eat, and I'm going to bring them home? And, it, and for us, that means working and going to the grocery store. And then another one of us says, hey, I'm going to put together a meal for all of us, uh, something that we could all enjoy together. And isn't there something amazing about sitting down for that meal where it's a shared thing, where one provided the ingredients and another put them together, and then together we eat it. And, and there's some gratitude, and there's some give and take, and, and this making of a meal becomes a relational experience. Are you with me? Now, take that metaphor to almost everything in life. Uh, I believe God has set life up in such a way that if we are more about preparing for the good experience of another, life isn't just simply stuff happening but everything that happens is an opportunity to love. Does that make sense? So instead of you just taking care of yourself, okay, I, I'm, I'm good to go, I took care of myself, someone else is taking care of me. The care for me has now become an act of love, not just simply I got ready, I got going, I'm out here living life. But I'm out here by the gifts of people. I'm out here by the giving and taking of my wife and of my kids. So life is meant to be an exchange. Now imagine it was that way at work. Uh, imagine that with your coworkers, you all are working towards the same thing in general. What if there was a really broad awareness of each, of, of each other's jobs? And we kind of knew a little bit of, it, of what it was for the person to my right and to my left to be successful. And I actually gave some margin in my days to make sure that not only was I doing what I was conscripted to do, but my coworkers were as well. And so we were looking out for each other. We're going to be there anyway that day. We're going to do the jobs that we're doing. What if it wasn't just cubicle, one after the other, doing our own little thing? There was this kind of sense of give and take. You know, if you knew certain skills that needed to be done in your job and you weren't very good at them, you shared those with someone else and then vice versa, they helped you. I'm not saying this is practically possible. I wouldn't even imagine this idea. What if life and living was more of a co-labor and a watching out very carefully for each other to our left and to our right. Uh, think of classmates with you in school. Uh, every kid is trying to you know, do their own test or study their own work. But what if there was kind of a cooperative sense that being in school is an opportunity to love? And I can actually love the person to my left and to my right if I kind of ask, how are you doing today? How are you doing well with this assignment? How's that assignment doing? Can I help you out at all? Can we talk about where you're struggling? There's this cooperative sense between us. And again, I'm saying, and I know this, this is something we can't do 100% yes or no, but if I'm understanding correctly, God is saying the most fulfilling life humans can experience and when, is when there's collaboration, and it's actually in the moments when you are working for someone else 
that you will experience this internal sense of fulfillment. That's what I've made you to do. And I've made your body and your mind to actually reward you when you are living for others rather than living for yourself. Anybody testify to the reality of what I'm saying? T and tell me, give me a story of a dynamic at home or at work where you could say, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, gosh. Uh -huh. So awesome. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Peter. So they double their effectiveness. Uh -huh. Wow. Yep. I believe it. Yeah. God just naturally rewards us for living into this kind of idea that it's better to give than to receive, right? Yeah. So uh, the goal today was to talk about life for people who have yet to find life in Jesus. And I wanted you to take all that now as a foundation, and let's keep going and, and take a look at how Jesus would have us share this story with people that don't believe it, don't understand it, and, and maybe wouldn't even initially agree with it. And I'm going to do that in Matthew chapter 9, and the, the scriptures are here, so you don't need to look them up. We're going to start with Matthew 9, uh, verse 35. This is uh, Matthew's kind of summary of the ministry of Jesus throughout the region of Galilee. Uh, just in actually a, a single sentence. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is Jesus doing redemptive work in the most um, high capacity possible. So he is going city to city and door to door, telling people, the government of God is coming. You're under the government of another uh, empire. It's not, you're not even governing yourself. Another empire is governing you right now, and it's a very oppressive life. But I'm letting you know that the government of God is coming. And when the government of God comes, the goodness that you imagine will happen. And he shows them that by, by bringing that goodness actually in a powerful way and healing people. So one of the things that in this particular culture was was an evidence of corruption and brokenness in life was sickness and death. And not a lot of hope. Absolutely no, you know, health care as we know it. And so people suffered on and on and on and died often young. And so Jesus is coming and saying, my father is bringing a new government. And actually, I will be the king of that government. And as that government comes, we will move towards the life you imagine. That's what I've come here to do. So Jesus was telling everyone about the good news. Hey, the tide is turning, the corruption that has you feeling sad, 
has life uh, being a lot of work for you, has caused you great sickness and illness, the tide is turning, God is coming, and I'm going to demonstrate that here and now, and he heals and he casts out demons. Two things that no one else could do for the people at the time. And then this verse comes next, Matthew 6, uh, verse 36, 936. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is God's perspective of humanity that doesn't know. If you have ever prayed, Jesus, give me your eyes to see what you see, this is what you prayed for. Jesus looked on the people that he was seeing in Galilee, walking around and saying, they are harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this, this is a little bit of a surprise because this sounds like kind of a victim mentality, right? Jesus is saying, humanity is full of victims. And they have no one to take care of their victimization. But it's exactly what he's saying. Harassed and helpless. Notice he doesn't say, number one, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Number two, you're a sinner. And unless you get your act together, you're going to hell. <laughs> it's not the Jesus way. It's not his message at all. His message is, I see people and all I see is humans who are harassed and helpless and don't have a leadership. And Jesus has come to be leadership humanity. And this, in, in my vision, in my uh, purview, this is the crux of what it is to be a believer or to not be a believer. And that is that we have well-shepherded lives. We are not harassed and helpless. We have a shepherd. Now, we can choose to, to receive, you know, the full effect of Jesus shepherding or not. We can, we can live far from it. We can resist it and not experience it necessarily as much as we could. But certainly the door is open. You have a relationship with someone who calls himself the chief shepherd of souls, and you should be able to say, I live a well-shepherded life. Anybody feel like they can say that? Describe for us a little bit your well-shepherded life. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, way to finish your message. <laughs> no, you landed the plane right there. Thank you for sharing that, Jeff. And that is, that's exactly you know, where we're sitting today, in this idea that w- with everything else that goes on in life, I feel like what we're talking about, what you just described, is kind of the center of real life. My hope for all of you is that you are well-shepherded. Um, I've actually, I, I told you guys, I got all your, your names, and I'm getting your kids' names on there too. And I, I take some time every week to pray by name for you. And my plead to God is that he shepherds you well, and that he shows me and that he shows our elders and, and actually all the rest of us how we can be a part of shepherding each other as well. I want you to love the life that you're living. Assuming that your love is, is healthy, it's not selfish, it's not um, consumer-driven, it's not materialistic. You know, you just want life that's full of relationship and fulfillment and hope and fun and laughter and that seems to be going somewhere. And, and my central job as pastor for this church is to pray for that and then to teach in that direction and then to kind of organize us a bit in community and friendship and activities that, that take us there. That's... That I consider my central role, is that you would live flourishing lives, whatever that looks like. And, and the good news is I don't have to do the work of that primarily. I just cooperate with Jesus, and he gives me some things to do, and he gives some things for you to do. But this, this is all we're doing, is moving through life day to day, living a life that is increasingly better, increasingly fuller, well-shepherded, so that, number one, we, we receive all the goodness that Jesus has for us, but secondarily, so that others see you. And they see you at work, and they see you at school, and they see you in the neighborhood, and they see you go, why? And they go, gosh, that person seems to know Jesus. I wonder if that's me. I wonder if that's what I'm doing. So here's the two things. And like I said, Jeff already landed the plane, but I'm going to go through them anyway. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, the, the work is, there's a lot of work to do. But the laborers or the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, the master of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. So there's some metaphor here that, that we're not farmers and it doesn't resonate with us as well. But essentially what he's saying is um, there are many people out there who are harassed and helpless who are very much ready to hear the good news that there is a shepherd out there that wants to shepherd their life. And so ask the Father to send, ask the Lord to send out people who will do that work, who will pay attention not only to their own lives, but to the lives of others. And in paying attention, will introduce them to a leader for their life, a shepherd for their life. Um, Pray would send out workers into the harvest field to go to those kids at Sherwood High School who don't, what is life for? My life sucks. I I don't want to get up anymore. When I go to school, I get picked on. What is going on? There's a child, a young person who's harassed and helpless like Jesus. That kid needs to know, hey, Jesus sees your life. He understands the daily experiences that you have. And he wants to talk to you and provide for you give you a sense of peace and a sense of identity in yourself and equip you to handle the things that you're struggling with. That's the will of God. And he's saying, please pray for people that will pay attention 
to the harvest that is in daily life. And then, finally, he says this, Matthew 10, verses 1 and 5. And then Jesus called to himself his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, that sounds familiar. We just heard about that. And these 12 he sent out. So Jesus is saying, pray for workers, and then be one of those workers. He said to the disciples, you 12 pray, and now you 12 go be the workers that we told you. And this is the work of the Christian life. This is the, the purpose of the church, is that we, where we live on a daily basis, wherever we're planted, that we would pray God, give us what it takes to help people who don't have a shepherd find a shepherd, and then send us out to make those connections. And we get to be uh, a little bit of that shepherd ourselves. Uh, we may not necessarily introduce people directly to Jesus first, but Jesus actually has equipped us to shepherd them as well. And that's why it says here he gave them authority, the disciples, to not just be messengers, but he gave them authority to heal every disease and affliction. And they went out. And you know the story in the book of Acts. These 12, along with a lot of other people, did exactly what Jesus sent them out to do. They had authority and power to bring the good news and to give evidence of the good news through healing and through freedom from demonic powers. But this, this um, work is the work that God has called us to do as well. So the ultimate conclusion is pray and go. I want to, to just give you one last thought here, too. We do this work in absolute partnership with God. And if we are doing it right, our yoke is easy and our burden is light. Um, Jesus is only asking us to pay attention and to engage. And he will do the hard work. And so if, if you go on to look at all the instructions, Jesus said, go and, and say, hey, make the offer. And if the offer's not received, move on. And so we don't have to fight with people for them to come to know Jesus or to, to believe the story of God in their lives. We're just simply asked, be faithful to do it. Please pay attention daily throughout your life to anyone who is harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Pray for them and then speak to them. Come close to them. Be a shepherd to them. Introduce them to the shepherd, Jesus. And that's, that's kind of it. That's the simple work of the church is to share, hey, Jesus is the answer. Do you know him? Do you understand him? And then also to discern where people are at in the story. A lot of people don't understand the story of Jesus. They don't understand why I, there's some goodness in my life, and then there's a lot of really not goodness. Why is that there? Where does it come from? Where is it all headed? Do we just die after 70 years and we're done? Is this all that we have in life? All these questions we have the answers to in the story of God and his work. So we come to the table again. Every week we come to the table. And I want to remind you the reason we do that is because this is what we are remembering is the event that redemption hinges on. Humanity went from corruption and death to a complete turnaround towards some life and eventually eternal life when Jesus died on the cross. That was the event that took us from corruption of goodness to, to uh, redemption, 
so we remember this every time that we get together. So as you come, just remember, yes, Jesus, thank you that in your body and in your blood and in your life and in your death and in your resurrection, I have gone from a destiny of corruption and death towards a destiny of reconstruction. Rick. Hey, why don't we all stand together um, as we worship and come to the table? Lord, we thank you that um, on the very night that you were betrayed, 